And so, yeah, we'll see. So Josh isn't here this morning. He, like I said, he's our, our primary teaching pastor. Um, he is actually in San Antonio, Texas for a really cool thing. The Vineyard, which is the association that we're a part of, received a million-dollar grant from the Lilly Foundation to do a program that they call the Well-Being of Pastors Initiative. And what it is, it's, it's three different rounds of two years. They call each of those two years a cohort. Um, the first one just completed, and they just started the second one. That's why he's in San Antonio. But what they do, this money is so that they take, um, and it's all paid for, which is wonderful, but they select a, a certain few. I think they have like 30 in each cohort that go through this two-year process, and it's all about ensuring the spiritual and fruitful longevity of pastors. Because do you guys know that pastoring is really stressful? Like, a lot of pastors burn out. Like, they finally just, they're just like, enough. Like, I've known so many, you know, and, and church planting is hard, and pastoring is hard, because you guys, you pour everything into it. You pour your whole selves into it. And, and it's hard. Um, so Josh applied for this a while back, and he got selected, which is awesome. And so they pay to fly him out to San Antonio this weekend to start. This, this weekend was an intensive weekend of meeting spiritual directors and coaches and mentors. And so he's going to get the benefit of all this for the next two years. And it's also part of a research thing, too. The whole point of giving the million dollars is to see what does it take to make sure that pastors have an adequate level of soul care and encouragement and that sort of thing, to make sure that they go the long haul. So that's really awesome. So thank you. I know some of you saw my post on Facebook this weekend. So thank you if you've been um, praying for him about that. He, I talked to him yesterday, um, and he said it's been so refreshing. He said they did nothing yesterday but just share their stories and, and kind of get prayed for. And he said just hearing the stories of other pastors and what they've come from and, and the things that God has taken them through to plant churches and build churches and, and minister after other pastors have left or take over churches that were struggling, it's just incredible and the ways that God has provided and met um, and so he, he I know just from this weekend he's he's been really filled but you know him he's a he's an introvert so he's going to come home done he's not going to want to talk to me for the first three days he's home he's probably going to go and lock himself in a in a room somewhere so anyway that's where he is this morning um, so if you're visiting with with us this morning uh, things are a little bit different today we are continuing though in our series on Sabbath We've been here for about four weeks now. I don't think we're quite done yet because I think there's a, a lot of depth to plumb here, um, a lot to get out of this series. We've already talked about a number of different aspects. We've, we started off with Sabbath in the relation to work because obviously it doesn't make sense to rest unless you were not resting before, unless you were actually working. We talked about Sabbath as a command and what that means, what it looked like as a command, why that was so important. We talked about it as a pattern of our lives and how we make this part of our rhythm. And then last week, Josh talked about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath and what that means. Now, I, I, I'm not very good at this. I used to be good at this. I'm not very good at this now. And I, I've been thinking and paying attention. You know, I, I post the sermons. I'm the one who edits the sermons to put them online. And so if I'm in the service, I actually get to hear every one of those sermons twice. So I, I get the benefit of absorbing a bit more. Um, but the one that I really struggled the most with was this whole idea of Sabbath as a command. And Josh and I had a really great conversation about this, this whole theology thing. I don't often engage in, in conversations like that. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That sounds great. Let's just all love Jesus and be happy. But we had this really great conversation about this idea of Sabbath as a command because I was really struggling. And it may, I think it may have just come down to semantics. I don't think we disagree, but I joked that I was going to get up here today and totally preach counter something that he's already 
preached and you know it's a you guys will have to struggle with that and discern that out and figure that out but I don't think so I think it's um I don't think we're in disagreement but I, I think what it is is that for me you know a, a command implies an order a directive like something that's non-negotiable something that if you don't do it there's going to be a punishment an active punishment as a consequence and, and that was true at one point. You know, in Israel, this was a command. And if they didn't do this, it was the harshest of punishments. It was punishable by death if they did not observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so, you know, Josh covered a lot of that. But, but you know, I, I was wrestling with this because I was like, obviously that's not the case today, right? If we don't take a Sabbath one week, we don't fall dead. So, so what is this about it? And what is this for us? Um, how does this translate for today? And wrestling through this, you know, I thought God doesn't do this now where he commands us to do this and we tow a line or we're just done. There, there's, there's something else going on here. That's just not what I see. What I sense is the Lord inviting us into something that is greater, something with more depth, something that's more... Um, not just that command, but an invitation. You know, there's, there's two ways that I command my kids to do something. I think some of you saw the meme that, or it wasn't even a meme, it was like a little Facebook thing that a friend of mine posted on my Facebook thing this week that said, if, you, if you're a kid, a pastor's kid, or a kid living in a pastor's house, you have the right to remain silent, or else anything you say or do can be used in a sermon illustration. Sorry, Karis. This is, this is my daughter, Karis, up here in the front row. <laughs> there she Hi, I love you. But we really do try, and we do, honestly, and that's true because it's our experience. It's what we have to relate, right? But we really do try to honor them and not totally throw them under the bus. And we do ask permission most times, don't we? Hey, can we share this story? Yeah, but we, we do say, hey, I, this story I feel like really relates to something I'm thinking about. Do you mind if I use this? And she says yes. But so... There's two ways that I will kind of command my kids to do something, right? One is, it's an order. Last night, my order was, Ava, go to bed. I was done. She was done. It's like, go to bed or there's going to be some sort of consequence. You know, it's, it's like that Sabbath thing um, that Josh talked about. Do this or else. Something else is coming. But there's also this other way that I tell my kids to do something, and it's, it's trying to impart wisdom to them. Karis, last year, got glasses for the first time. We would be driving down the road. We were driving, we'd be driving down the road, and I'd read a sign or say something, and Karis would be like, you can read that? I'm like, yeah, you can't? Okay, we got a problem here. So we took her into the eye doctor, got her checked. She got glasses, you know, went through the whole process. But Karis, being a 13-year-old, doesn't often wear them. You know, and I remember she'll come in the house sometimes and come from school and say, Karis, Where's your glasses? Oh, they're in my locker. Honey, they're not doing you any good. You're in locker. You got to wear your glasses, you know? Where are they? Put your glasses on. Like, this, this isn't a command I'm giving her unto punishment. I'm not punishing her for not putting her glasses on. I am like, Karis, we spent a lot of money on those. Put your glasses on. But it's not a command unto a punishment. It's a command unto wisdom. Hey, Karis, put your glasses on. Doesn't it feel good when you wear your glasses and you can actually see the board at school and be able to write down the homework assignment on your own? Like, doesn't it feel good when you come home and your eyes aren't totally exhausted and you don't have a headache, you know? And I tell her this because it's for her good, right? It's for her benefit, which, you know, this, this 
this illustration brings me to my point for today and what we're going to focus on because what I'm what we're focusing on as far as Sabbath goes is how Sabbath isn't so much this command anymore as it is wisdom from the Lord you need this this is for us and so where we're going today is this truth that Sabbath was made for man or mankind not man for the Sabbath and this is a quote straight from Jesus so let's go ahead and read it's going to be the same chunk of text that Josh used last week because this snippet about Sabbath being made for man not man for the Sabbath is the line right before what Josh preached about last week about Jesus being the son of man being Lord of the Sabbath so we're going to go to Mark 2 and this is Mark 2 23 through 28 and it says this one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along they began to pick some heads of grain the Pharisees said to him look why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath he answered have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, there's a lot in this verse that we could dig out. Just pause for a second to realize Jesus wasn't defending his disciples being unlawful here. What they were breaking wasn't the Sabbath command of honor it and keep it holy. What they were violating was all these extra rules and laws and things that the Pharisees over time had built up out of fear of breaking the Sabbath and not honoring it. This, they call it putting a hedge around it, you know, to make sure you don't get too close to that boundary and end up in trouble because you've somehow dishonored the Sabbath. So what the disciples were doing wasn't not honoring the Sabbath. It was not honoring these things that the Pharisees had added on top to it. So this chunk in Matthew that Josh used last week, um, excuse me, this chunk in Mark, where it says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you actually go to the book of Matthew and find this same text in that book, the thing that is right before this chunk in Matthew is that part where Jesus says, like, it's the part, woe to unrepentant cities, you know, and he's just tearing them a new one over their failure to repent, uh, even amongst all of these signs and wonders that he did amongst them. But the part, he gets down to the very end, and it says this, um, just before this chunk in the, over in the book of Matthew, it says, he tells the crowds, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, so he, he tells these Pharisees that Sabbath is made for man and completely turns on its head all these rules and regulations and ideas that they had because they had ironically been striving so hard to earn and fulfill this thing that Jesus is saying, if you'll just come to me, I'll just give it to you. It's a gift. I have it, and I will give it. And not just rest for your bodies. You'll find rest for your souls. And they were striving, and here's Jesus offering it free. So this crazy juxtaposition here. And later in the book of Colossians, when, when Paul is writing to the church there, he says this. He says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink 
or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, and some translations say the fullness is found in Christ. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to reveal to these crowds and to the Pharisees, that they're trying so hard and striving to realize this thing that's bound them, that they're an obligation to, but he is the Lord of the Sabbath, and the, our rest is complete in him. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, like Josh preached about last week. He, in his presence, in him, is where we find true rest, not in these rules and regulations. What the Pharisees were seeking was just a shadow, just a reflection, something that just wasn't the fullness. So I want to put this out there. This is kind of one of those, like, takeaways for the day. That this is how we are able to say that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. If we are made for the Sabbath, we're bound by it. We're constrained by it. But if Sabbath is made for us, we are served by it. We are fulfilled by it. And there's a big difference there. The Pharisees were bound in their legalism of the Sabbath. Jesus was offering freedom and fulfillment, the complete opposite. So if, if it's made for us, we're served by it. We don't want to be bound. So the Sabbath in Jesus has reached its fullness. It's in him that we find our rest. What Jesus has made available to us is a Sabbath rest that's no longer this obligation in a sense of do this or else. But he's given it to us as a gift. And it's a gift that we get to employ in living deeply, spiritual, mature lives that are dependent on him and that reflect him and reflect his glory, that make us like him. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a different route, and I want to look at the practice of Sabbath rest through the lens of a spiritual discipline. Because spiritual disciplines aren't end in them, ends in themselves. This is a spiritual discipline that has its fullness in Jesus. It's not the practice. Sabbath isn't an end in itself. These things are a means to something. There's a, a professor who's at a uh, Baptist seminary in Kentucky. He's a professor of biblical spirituality, and he puts it this way, and I love this phrase, and I want to let this sink in for a second. He's talking about spiritual disciplines, and again, the lens that we're going to look at the Sabbath through this, this morning. And he said that these spiritual disciplines are habits of devotions and habits of experiential Christianity. And I underline that word experiential. We are meant to experience something of Christ in these practices. Not just the legalism of do it or don't do it, but there is a fullness and an experience that we are meant to have as a result. Spiritual disciplines are about experience. They're about presence. They're about formation and transformation. They're the vehicle for some destination that we're headed towards that we're trying to get to. They're not the end in themselves. And Sabbath, I believe, is the same way. That observing a Sabbath is not the end in itself. Taking a Sabbath rest is a means to something. 
I think this is where the Pharisees really went wrong with this, right? Because they piled all these rules and regulations and extra things on top of the command of honor it and keep it holy. And now they have this list of this checkoff list, right? Don't walk this far. Don't cook this thing. Don't talk this much. Don't whatever. Don't be any more productive than this. And, and they boiled it down to just a checklist. But in doing it, that's what they thought qualified them as righteous. But the Sabbath is a so that, like a so that. We observe Sabbath so that we get the benefits of it. We observe and partake in Sabbath rest so that we trust in God as our provider. We observe Sabbath rest so that we draw close to the Lord and become like him and become transformed into his image. It's a doing, or in this case, a not doing in order to be. It takes us from just a doing to an existing, into a reality, a reality that the fullness is found in Jesus. So in just a second, whoever's got the slides there is going to put up this really kind of ugly graphic for you. And I need you to promise me before they do that you're not going to shut down on me when they do. Um, I think there's some depth for us here. I'm Honestly, I'm not even sure how well you're going to be able to see it because it's a tall thing on a, a wide screen. So... Okay, here we go. Uh, and, don't, and if it stresses you out or you can't read it, feel free to look away. No worries. There's, I'm going to explain it. We're, we're going to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of words and a lot of lines here, and I don't want you to shut down on me because I think there's a trajectory, and that's what I want to focus on mainly is a trajectory, the so that of Sabbath, the way that the Sabbath is for us. Okay, so here there's this weird chart, and the, this weird chart is going back to what Paul said in Colossians about the things that were done before, those new moon festivals and all those things, the Sabbath. Again, there is a ton to dig out of just that one verse. That's not me. That's not where we're going. That's beyond the scope this morning. But what he said about those things that we have observed having been just a shadow of the things that are fulfilled through Jesus. Okay, so that's what the whole point of this is. So looking at this, these bottom things. So on the very bottom there, it says law, and the very top it says grace. And right in the middle is this line that represents Jesus. And Jesus coming and bringing his kingdom and bringing his salvation and bringing his fullness. Okay, and bringing our complete and total healing. So on the bottom, these were the things under the law. There was, this, there was blood sacrifice. There was restitution for sins and paying back. You know, there was circumcision and tithing. And, and uh, the Sabbath was a seventh day not yet. In the vineyard, we talk a lot about the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God, the things that, you know, we have now, but there's still the not yet. And in, in this seventh day Sabbath, there was so much of the not yet. It was a leaning forward and a looking and a hoping. Because remember, they were doing this even in exile in Egypt. So... Here comes Jesus, though, and he comes and he turns all this stuff on his head and he brings the fullness of the kingdom and he transforms all of these things that were just shadows of his kingdom into a fullness of his kingdom. So now through Jesus, we no longer have blood sacrifice. We have the blood of his communion where we partake in the blood through communion. We no longer have restitution and penalty for for failure and sin, we have forgiveness. Seventy times seven. We're no longer bound by circumcision. We now have a circumcision of the heart that is evident through our baptism. Tithing, 
this strict law of how much you have to bring has now been transformed into generosity and giving with generosity. And our Sabbath that was punishable by death and obligation has now become a permanent Sabbath that is founded in the now of the kingdom because Jesus is here. And so Jesus has taken all these shadows and he's transformed them with his fullness. So that's what I want you to see here because before under all this stuff, if you lacked these things, you were moving towards deficiency and death. But now Jesus has secured our salvation. He's secured our permanent Sabbath. Our Sabbath is in him, and being in him, we, are, we have our permanent Sabbath. And he is our foundation and our baseline, no longer adhering to these things. We have Jesus, and we are in Jesus and found in Jesus. And now all these shadows are now given to us as gifts that we can engage in and participate in, and they move us somewhere. They're a so that, so we engage in these practices, and we grow in maturity and grace, and we're transformed into his image because they're gifts. They're not punishments. They're, hey, put your glasses on because this is good for you. You need this. This will fill you and transform you. Do these things and be transformed in my image and shaped and allow the kingdom to come so that. It's a so that. Does that make sense? So 1 Timothy 4, 7. So we can get rid of that because that's kind of ugly in a whole lot of words. Um, that was kind of my nerding out this week. I felt like that was a moment with the Holy Spirit where he was like, hey, watch this. I was like, oh, that's cool. You may not think it's as cool. So 1 Timothy 4, 7 tells us, train ourselves to be godly. Here's the verse. Train yourselves for godliness. This goes through verse 10. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. There's that now and not yet again. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. All of those things were set on Jesus. You know, we get nothing out of just understanding that chart and those habits. These things have to be practiced. They have to be a part of our rhythms because they're not directives in our lives anymore. They're sin management mechanisms. Now they're practices that facilitate a maturing of our faith by the Holy Spirit. There are things that we actually engage in for a purpose. And the observance of a Sabbath is like that because it's an apparatus of our spiritual training and formation, our training for godliness, as Paul says. So now Sabbath is much more like a spiritual imperative, something we're compelled to. It's an essential and life-giving thing, not the threat of death. To emphasize this point, if we think about communion, for example, when Jesus instituted communion with his disciples, what did he say when he gave it to them? He said, as often as you do this. It was an expectation. And I think Sabbath is the same expectation. I'm giving this to you. This is a gift. And as often as you partake in it, as often as you do it, do it in me. Do it in remembrance of me. There's this expectation that we will Sabbath. There's an expectation that we will participate in communion. There's an expectation that we will study our Bible and meditate on Scripture and pray and intercede and that we will rest from our labors to dwell in his presence. 
because the goal isn't so much about the doing, it's about the being. It's not the checking boxes and marking it off. That was the Pharisees' way and they were bound by it. It's about being and taking us somewhere. It's in order that we can be with Jesus so that we can be like Jesus. So, you know, even though it's not a sin issue anymore, there are consequences, obviously. But the punishment now is built into the thing itself because it's a gift. And if we deny the gift, we deny ourselves the benefit of that gift. You know, God doesn't have to ground us and punish us and slap us on the hand anymore if we fail to cease in a Sabbath way. That punishment's already built in, and we will have our own lack if we spin and spin and spin and spin and don't rest in his presence and rest in his fullness. The consequence is inerrant to it. The consequence of, you know, if I, I keep teasing Karis, but the consequence of not looking, put on our glasses is she can't see. The consequence of not engaging in Sabbath, well, we still can't see. We can't rest. So I, I do believe, and, and that's not to say, I, I don't want to make light of this. I do believe there are times when we do genuinely need to repent because we have not engaged in a Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I think that repentance is found so much more in the pride of thinking we've got this under control and we don't need to rest and we don't need to engage in God's fullness and we don't need to seek him and we've got this and we can earn it ourselves and do it ourselves and provide for ourselves and be our own saviors. I think think the repentance is so much more tied to that pride than it is in checking off the boxes of making sure that we had a day where we weren't productive. We didn't take out the trash or do the laundry or do the dishes or something. that's, That's not what we're going for here. So, you know, I realize that as a culture and society, we have a whole lot poured into us that says that discipline, we're talking about spiritual discipline right here, uh, Sabbath is a spiritual discipline. There's so much that's poured into us that says discipline is in the doing. And that's true. There's a lot of that, you know, and and you hear a lot, okay, you get up in the morning, maybe you make your bed, you know, I don't make my bed. You make your bed, you have your breakfast, you you have your quiet time, you, you go and you work out a certain number of times. And so much we've been taught that discipline is in a doing But I think we also need to realize that there's discipline in restraint as well. There's discipline in laying some things down. There's discipline in opening our hands and letting go. Fasting's like that too, right? Fasting is a discipline of restraint where we we put those things down and put them aside. I think Sabbath is the same way. It's a discipline of restraint from not having to do for a while. But, and I actually, uh, I went back and pulled this up. I, I couldn't believe how long ago this was. Uh, Brant, um, one of our elders, did a sermon. It was May of, what did I say, May 2018, I think it was. I did a sermon on work. And I pulled it, and I remember I'd, I'd made this little, like, graphic to, to put up because I loved it. And I'm going to resurrect it here and use it again because Sabbath can't just be a rest from something. It has to be a rest in something, into something. So that's a Brant tidbit. Real Sabbath rest has to lead us into something and lead us somewhere. You know, at the very beginning of this series, um, if you remember when Josh introduced all of this, that very first Sunday when he very first talked about Sabbath and Sabbath in relationship to rest, he challenged us all to make sure we took a full Sabbath day that week. And I think we all kind of went, oh, because we know what our calendars look like, right? Now, I was all for that, though, because I do a lot. Too much, I know. 
but I was like, okay, this sounds good. But I had this problem. You guys, I do not sit still. Well, like my kids can tell you, I I can't sit still. Like I've got to be doing something. I've got to be constantly planning for the next thing or working on the next project. Or I tell you, you guys, as soon as Christmas is over, I'm like, let's plan Easter. We got this. You know, like, and that's how I am. I'm, I'm constantly looking to the next thing. I need to be doing something. And it's, it's a bit pathologic, really. Um, and if I'm really being honest with you, if I am not being productive, I actually pretty quickly start to feel guilty. I feel shamed. Yeah, oh, there's a lot of affirmations on that. You guys have that same thing, huh? If I don't feel productive, man, I feel guilt. I feel weight. What have we done to ourselves? What have we let culture do to us? that we can't rest without feeling guilty for it. So I have this fear, I think, that others will think maybe I'm lazy. Because, gosh, that's the last thing you want to be, right? You can't be found lazy. And so I start to feel guilty, and I know it's silly. But now I do, do understand, I, I do try to take a break. So this is like my job, right? Like, I, no, I'm a pastor. I love it. This is my calling, like, kind of drug Josh into this at the first. You know, I love this. But it's also my job. I get paid like 20 hours part-time a week to do this stuff. I do the website and I do the finances and I prepare kids' church, you know, and I coordinate a lot of things and all just all the random stuff that comes up. So I do make a point usually on Mondays to not do anything church job related. But the problem is what I did do wasn't any more restful, right? Like you see where I'm going here, right? I usually sub out my job church work with housework. And let me guys tell you, that is not Sabbath and rest for me, right? I can assure you, it is not soul care for me. And I hate grocery shopping, but come Monday, I am scraping the bottom of the fridge trying to make a meal for my kids. Like, their lunch is all sorts of weird stuff, like whatever's left over from the weekend. So I usually have to go grocery shopping on Monday so that they can eat for the rest of the week and have lunches. But grocery shopping for me, guys, oh, it is torture. I hate it. I hate bringing the bags home. But here I am doing this stuff, and this isn't restful. I'm still very much working, even though it's not my job work. I'm doing housework, and I've just switched one form of work for the other. So when Josh challenged us on this thing, I thought, okay, I am going to do this. So I looked at my calendar to try and figure out, okay, what day of the week is it actually going to be possible for me to accomplish this? Where do I have space in my calendar? And that particular week, it happened to be on a Thursday. And so I said, all right, I've got this. And it was a day I didn't have any other appointments or obligations or anything set up. So on Thursday of that week, now I did have to get up and get the kids off to school. But after that, I was like, great, what am I going to do or not do? And be honest, guys, I'm so out of practice with this. I didn't even know what to do with myself. So I took a nap. And then I took another nap. Yeah. But then I took another nap. I, you guys, I slept for like four hours that day. And it was glorious. But there comes a point you can't just sleep and sit on the couch anymore, you know. So I got up and I took the dog out and we sat on the front porch for a while. And honestly, guys, I was just getting so bored. And so after spending about two-thirds of my day just bored and not knowing what to do, I thought, gosh, Josh is right. I really need a hobby. Like something. I don't have any hobbies anymore. And it's sad, you know. Now, I submit to you, I may be wrong on this. But I think when God calls us into a Sabbath rest, I really don't think his intention is that we spend all day heavy duty studying and memorizing scriptures and interceding for everyone we know and all the needs and all that. You know, and that's good stuff, and we should be doing that stuff. But I don't think that's the picture he paints for us of our Sabbath. I think the picture he paints for us is very different. 
I think he invites us into a restful space that is for us. You know, some people delight in gardening. Jessica delights in gardening. And she'll get out there and get dirty and work, and, and it's beautiful, and I am not having it. If you've seen our house, it is just enough to make sure we don't get nasty letters from the HOA. Like, I don't do this, you know? And, and some people paint and knit and all this stuff. Um, that stuff is work for me. That would not fill me. But I love water. Like, I love being on the water. I love being on boats. I love floating. I love just being out there and kind of that bobbing motion and that restful motion. And it can be in whatever kind of boat, preferably one I don't have to paddle too much and do too much work. But I could just sit out on the water for hours and hours and enjoy it and be filled. And there's just something about it that is so rejuvenating for me. I can feel God's near. I can hear him better. There's just something about it. And when I tell Josh that, he's like, really? Like, that doesn't do it for him. He he wouldn't choose it. He doesn't hate it, but he wouldn't choose it. He likes to go hike up a mountain in the rain and, you know, be real outdoorsy and do all this stuff. And that's not me. Uh, Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. One time in college, he, he had this moment, one of his really, like, introspective moments, I guess. He decided to hike up this mountain, it literally, in the rain. And he sat down in an anthill and didn't realize it and came home covered in, like, ants and mud. And, yeah, I was like, well, that was... Do you enjoy that? Yeah, it was great. Okay. So, you know, I realized on that Thursday, though, that I needed something. I needed something that filled me. I needed something to do during my Sabbath rest where I could actually feel the Lord's pleasure. And since I have yet to be able to convince Josh that we need to buy a boat, I needed a plan B. And so I started thinking about it, and I really like puzzles. I really like putting together puzzles. And I think that maybe it's a little dorky. Okay, if the shoe fits, that's fine. I'll own it. Um, But I said, you know, there is this puzzle that I have on the shelf in the playroom that I was given like two Christmases ago. I've never even taken the shrink wrap off of it. So I go in there, and it's this big 2,000-piece puzzle. And I put all this cardboard out on on the table, and I start working this puzzle. And I, you guys, I found my rhythm. It was wonderful. I found a thing that I could engage in And I know it sounds silly for some of you, and Josh thinks I'm crazy, but I spent a whole lot of time that day working on this puzzle and doing it. And look at Kara. She's like, oh, my mom's such a dork. Oh, no, you can't touch my puzzle. You guys, because I get it like 95% put together, and there's 15 pieces left, and here comes Josh, Kara, and Ava. Oh, look, I got this. And I'm like, you step away right now, didn't I? I said, all of you, out of the dining room, step away. It's my puzzle. I put in the time. You are not crowning it off for me. No, ma'am. And then Ava thinks it's cute to hide a piece. Mm-mm. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble. That ain't cool. So I did this puzzle, and I loved it. And it was Sabbath for me. And I engaged, and I could disconnect my mind from all the things and the to-dos and the worries, and I could hear God. <laughs> there was a boat in it. It was actually a picture of a bunch of travel stuff, which I also like to do. So I don't know that that's restful. I come back rather stressed out with lots of laundry to do. But it was wonderful, and I so enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that on Saturday, I decided, it was 2,000 pieces. This was a big boy. I decided I would work on it again on Saturday. So you remember that first Sunday when we came, it was technically technically the second Sunday of the Sabbath sermons. We came back, and Josh said, who's done a Sabbath? And I was like, me. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, I know you did. 
he was talking about the Saturday. He didn't realize my Sabbath was Thursday. I spent so much time on the sa- on the puzzle again on Saturday and just did nothing that he's over the and he left me alone because he assumed I was like doing what he said and doing the Sabbath. No man, that was that was encore. That was number two. So I finally did confess and I said, actually it was Thursday. And he's like, Oh really? Didn't do anything on Saturday either, did you? No, sorry. I, I really liked it. But you know, all that to say that I believe God gives us things to engage in, that we feel this pleasure, and we fill those times of rest with something, that they're not just sitting bored making sure that we're not productive. They're restful, and we're engaging in something that is life-giving, even if it's my weird pattern recognition stuff. There's this uh, rabbinical scholar named Abraham Heschel who puts it this way. In keeping the Sabbath holy, we enter into a space and a time of openness to God. The kind of time we experience when we enter a house of prayer. Entering Sabbath is entering presence. It's like entering a house of prayer. It's entering a space of openness to God. It's not just vacancy, guys. Sabbath isn't just clearing everything into vacancy. It's fullness of the very best kind. So I want to, the last bit here, what I want to do is I want to look at what is it that's the fruit of the Sabbath when we get it right. What are some of the ways in which this Sabbath is actually for us? And I want to just briefly look at, at five ways that the Sabbath is for us and some of these things that this Sabbath rest is meant to be filled with and it's meant to be unto. First of all, and no particular order, and obviously these aren't all of them, but Sabbath is for our trust. Guys, it is absolutely essential that we trust our Father, that we can put our trust in our Lord. So I'm going to give you a scenario here and see how much you can relate to this. I think if we're honest, and I mean like really honest, I think many of us can probably admit that we have fallen into a pattern of marking our time by our paychecks. Yeah? So whatever your pay cycle is, you know it. You know when the next one is due. You set your calendars to it. You set your expectations to it. You look forward to the next one. We see relief. and We feel relief when that direct deposit hit, hits our account and fills up our account. There's a sense of security in it. Now, we need to be provided for. But I think we have this internal dialogue that goes something to the effect of when we see that money go into our account or we're able to cash that check where we say, okay, I'm good now. This amount allows me to make it this much farther before I'm going to need another one, before I'm going to need more money and more sustenance. How, when we do this mental calculating of how far can this get us, or maybe we get to the point, okay, now I can buy this, or now I can pay this off, or now I'm secure, and we kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Does that sound familiar? Because it does for me. But as I say it out loud, you begin to see the problem here and the brokenness. Because where have we placed our trust? We've placed our trust in the work that we can do and the way that we can provide for ourselves in the compensation that we've earned because of our own efforts and what we've done and what we've received as a result of that. And so from this place of putting our trust in our own abilities, now our biggest fear becomes, what if I'm no longer able to provide for myself? What if I'm no longer able to earn? 
And we go from our security in that to our fear of that. And our pattern, our rhythm that's meant to be set by the Lord is set by a pay period. But what's the kingdom? Let's look at what the kingdom paradigm for this is. This is also found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about anything about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. He knows you need, guys. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So let's think for a minute. What if, instead of setting our rhythm by our paychecks and our ability to earn, we set it by the Sabbath? What if instead of breathing a sigh of relief when we see that direct deposit go in our account, we breathe a sigh of relief when we rest and cease from our labors and experience God's presence? What if instead of looking forward to the next time we're going to have a paycheck and budgeting our money until we get there and what it's going to give us, what if we instead look forward to the next Sabbath and we budget our rest and our energy and our anxiety? What if we pattern our lives and our rhythm by Sabbath? What if we look forward and know, I'm going to need another Sabbath. This is the rest I'm going to need. This is the provision and the sustenance I'm going to need. What a difference. And God's going to provide the rest. What would it look like to set our pattern, not by how much money we have on our account, but how much fullness we have in Christ that he gives us when we rest in him? You know, and I I just want to point out, taking a Sabbath rest, you guys, it's like this defiant act of rebellion against hurry and busyness and culture and this self-centered, capitalistic, I can earn it and do it on my own kind of practices. It's not just a rest from our productivity. Like, this is a rest from work, but this is, Sabbath is also an opportunity for us to rest from consumption, to rest from fear, to rest from a plenty, or to rest from a fear of scarcity. We get to rest from all of that. All those things that distract us from our creator and our provider and our savior, just like our striving for our own provision does, we get to rest from those things too. The Sabbath is such a holy, set-apart, blessed, unique space that those who have and those who don't have can come and meet in the Sabbath because it's all the same provider from all the same storehouses.
and he loves us all. That's the longest one of those. The Sabbath is for us to trust in the Lord. Next, Sabbath is for our identity. Engaging in Sabbath defines who our master is. Are we our own masters or is the Lord our master? It shows who it is we're lined up with. Whose name do we have? Whose pattern do we carry? You know, the Sabbath has always marked God's people. When, when he gave this to Moses and the people, he said, this will be a sign that you're my people. That's a mark. That's a sign. It's their identity. You're my people because you obey me and you do this and I've given you this and you're marked by this. Because the way of the world, and, and you guys know this, the way of the world is hurry and busyness and striving and clamoring for more, even if we think we already have enough because that's what we've been told to do is go more, go bigger, go better. But the way of Jesus has rhythm. It has rest. It has contentment and gratitude for the things that we have now. And it will mark you. You will look different as a result of engaging in this practice. You will be perceptibly different from the culture around you when you ruthlessly eliminate hurry and this 24-7 need for productivity in your life because you will stand out and it will mark you as one of the creator's creations. It will identify you by the one who made you, by the creator of the universe who he himself rested from his work to enjoy it, even when he didn't suffer from a lack of sleep. Which actually brings me to my next point. Sabbath is for our pleasure. I really enjoyed my puzzle. I'm going to enjoy another one tomorrow, all day. Have you ever noticed what it was that God was doing when he went walking through the garden and found this really shameful Adam and Eve hiding under leaves? You remember? It says he was taking a walk in his garden in the cool of the day. He had rested and he was actually enjoying his creation. He set it in motion and then he went and he walked the garden he had planted in the cool. Doesn't that sound wonderful? A walk in your garden in the cool of the day. Even God enjoyed his creation. Sabbath rest, as we said before, it's not just a rest from our labor. It's time to actually enjoy the fruit of it. If we work and work and work and work, we never enjoy the fruit. What is the point, guys? But the work of Jesus is complete, and he enjoys his creation. He enjoys us. And he has obtained for his people, us, a rest that is complete and looks the same. It fulfills, and it carries on through eternity, not just for these seven days. Now, you know, God's not temperamental like we are. And when he came up on Adam and Eve, like, what have you done? I'm sure he would have handled their situation just fine if he hadn't just had his cool walk in the garden because he's not broken like us. But can you take a minute and just imagine what our lives would be like if we operated from that type of place of having had whatever our version of a cool day's walk in the garden is? How would our parenting be different if we had rested and delighting souls? And that's where we were pulling from. What would our marriages look like if we had more than just scraps of grace and patience at the end of a day? You know, what kind of neighbors would we be if we weren't so darn tired and worn out all the time and running on fumes that we want to just pull in the garage and push the button and shut the door because we saw the neighbor coming out to get the mail and they're going to try and talk to us? You know, what, what kind of 
people would we be? How would we reflect our creator if we were filled in the fullness of the Sabbath? So Sabbath rest is for us to actually enjoy the fruits of our labor, not to just stack them up in a corner and say, look what I've done. We're to enjoy them, to find delight and to feel God's pleasure in them. Next, Sabbath is for our maturity and our emotional health. A while back, I, I did a small group called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Were any of you in that? You all remember that? It was really good. And the whole premise of this was like a very regular rhythm of Sabbath, even down to like two minutes in your morning and two minutes of your evening in ceasing. And just, if nothing else, saying, God, I acknowledge you. And just taking that moment to look around and say, I see you. Where, where is God? What's he doing? And I loved it. We had that uh, mental health sim- um, summit here uh, Friday a week ago. And Alicia, the counselor that did that for us, she, she talked about this idea, which I love, and Josh and I use a lot too, of being thermostats versus thermometers. Being thermostats instead of thermometers, where instead of just reacting to things off the cuff, we are able to respond out of a place of confidence and maturity. So Sabbath is a practice that brings us, bring these qualities about in us so that we're ready for those things, so that we're not, like Paul says, tossed about by the waves, where we don't just constantly find ourselves reacting to everything all the time. It's a maturity in us. Thinking back to that diagram that I put up a while ago that was a mess, you know, Sabbath takes us from this bottom sphere of obligation and commitment and being bound to this space of grace and its maturity. And you saw those arrows on the side that the one on the top is pointing to maturity. These things take us to a place of maturity and growth. We go from obligation to invitation. We go from discipline to benefit. We go from shadow to fullness, and that's where this takes us. So some not-so-hypotheticals here, thinking about that, that chart. Can we be, you don't have to answer this, just ponder this. Can we be Christians without those things on the top of that chart? Can we be Christians without going to church? Can we be Christians without fasting? Can we be Christians without praying that often or without reading our word? Can we be Christians without Sabbath? But let me tweak it just a bit. Can we be disciples of Jesus without fasting, without prayer, without reading and studying our word, without giving generously, without resting in him? It puts it in a different light. So that's what we're going for. We're not just going for up to here. We're going up for maturity. Sabbath is essential for our spiritual maturity and for our emotional health. And the last one, and we're done. It seems the most obvious, and yet we miss it. Sabbath is for our worship. If we miss worship and presence and relationship in Sabbath, we've missed the whole heart of the thing. Because Sabbath is available to us because God's kingdom has broken in. That's why we can do this. And observing Sabbath is worship of the king who has inaugurated his kingdom. We're in his kingdom and we're participating in that. It is the actual embodiment of on earth as in heaven. Because in God's kingdom, the work is done. It's complete. It's, it's been settled. 
But we have these overlapping kingdoms. You know, we talk about this. We have these competing kingdoms, and we live in this time of competing kingdoms, this now and this not yet stuff, where the other kingdom that we don't like hasn't been completely done away with. And so we struggle. But Sabbath is our leaning into the now of his kingdom. It's leaning into that promise, into, into that fullness, and acknowledging that kingdom is greater than the kingdom of this world. And if you're like me, like I can come in here on a morning like today when I have had a weekend because Josh has been out of town and things have broken and I've gotten kind of sick and, you know, I'm tired and the kids have been sick this week some. Um, and I can come in where I've been spinning my wheels and I come in and I have to like, okay, like King David did, worship the Lord, oh my soul, give him praise. And it's almost more like a, let's do this. I got this. I have to engage. I have to like turn it on. And that happens sometimes, honestly. But worship for me flows so much more naturally when I've actually taken the time to stop, to stop my toiling and to stop my spinning and to stop my striving. And I put all my stress and my anxiety and my busyness out of my mind and I just rest in his presence. I take a deep breath and I look around me and I see his goodness. I had a day last week where I opened the door. It was one of those warmer days. And I opened the door and I heard the birds. And it was like it immediately took me to this place of, God, you're such a good creator. And I rest in that and my worship begins to flow so naturally. It's not something I have to drum up. It's not something I have to like command my soul to do at the moment. It flows out of a place of rest in him and presence. All about presence here. When we see his beauty and we see his creation and we're filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, our worship flows. And that's going to look different from all of us. But I, I think that's the point here is to stop and look and acknowledge and be present in his presence. So I, I just want to end this by encouraging you, you know, think over these things. This isn't like some obligation, like a taskmaster of a father has put on us. It's a gift he invites us into. It's a tool for us to grow closer to him. And I just want to encourage you to spend some time maybe, you know, as we all work to make this Sabbath thing a part of our pattern and a rhythm of our life, to reflect on what it is maybe that your Sabbath needs to be more filled with. Not just cleared out for vacancy's sake, but what does it need to be filled with? And let's go for that this week. Lord, thank you that you are Lord of the Sabbath. That this is something that you have transformed, Jesus. You have transformed it into a benefit and a gift for us that leads us into maturity and a health and presence. And we don't have to look at this as some obligation and feel guilty when we're not productive. And feel like we got to sit still and just do nothing and be bored. That, Lord, you have filled this. You have brought fullness and reality in Sabbath for us. And it's a gift. So, Father, I, I pray that we would take that gift with gratitude. That we would recognize its value and that you would transform our patterns and our days to live like this, where we are living now no longer paycheck to paycheck, but Sabbath to Sabbath. We are living fullness to fullness. 
So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would bring Josh home safely today on all of his flights and all of his travel. That you would bless this church with your presence and your purpose. In Jesus' name.